BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQBD Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, the ACLU's Lee Gallant joins us to talk about the 1,000 or so migrant children still separated from their parents. For 500 of them, their parents have yet to be located. We'll look at the status of reunification efforts. Then, country music is having a reckoning after last year's protests for racial justice and after country's biggest star was captured on camera using a racial slur. We'll talk with California singer-songwriter Miko Marks about how she's forged her art and identity as a black woman in the white and male-dominated country music industry. That's all next on Forum. Join us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. It's been nearly three years since the Trump administration said it ended its family separation policy, and yet the public and even attorneys representing the families continue to learn harrowing details about the trauma the policy inflicted, as roughly 1,000 children are thought to remain separated, and the parents of about 500 have yet to be located. ACLU attorney Legal Learnt brought the first major case challenging family separations in March of 2018, and it's still open. Legal Learnt, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. When you brought that case in 2018, many Americans had no idea that children, including infants and toddlers, were being systematically taken from their parents at the border in this way. And we later learned that it was happening in 2017. Can you remind us what Trump's policy was and what drove it? Yeah, I mean, so that that's a good starting point that people didn't know what was going on, because truthfully, we didn't really know what was going on. In the fall of 2017, we began hearing that children were being taken from their parents at the border. And more and more cases were brought to our attention. Um, and we began realizing that this is something more than a few aberrational cases. Um, and we then prepared a lawsuit in the winter of 2018 
when and I went out to see the first mother I could talk to, who later became the the name plaintiff, Miss L, who who had escaped from the Congo. Um, and when I visited her, I was shocked to hear the story that her she had presented herself lawfully at the border, was seeking asylum with her seven year old, had had her child taken away from her, wasn't told why. It had been four months, and then we went into court for her and ultimately for a, a national class, a, a national class action to say, we believe your honor, this is happening nationwide. And it's not just one or two children. And we allege that there might've been 400, maybe even 500 children we thought had been separated. When the judge ultimately ruled in our favor and said, this policy shocked the conscience was brutal and unconstitutional and told the government to reunite families we could not believe how many families had been separated. The government told us that it was 2,700 children, um, so many of them babies and toddlers. And that ended up being the least of it because it's now, we now know that more than 5,500 children were separated. The government didn't disclose all of the families that were separated until much later. And then they continued to do it. We, um, we you know, so it's over 5,500, as I said, but the, the bar, how barbaric it was, I think, has continued to shock us. The stories we hear from, from families um, is just mind-boggling that the United States government deliberately did this. Yes, the thought, just the thought of children, including, as you say, infants being taken from their parents is horrifying. And it did receive a lot of media coverage. But as someone who knows that full picture of what happened, what did the public really not see with regard to how this was carried out and why? Yeah, I think that um, the challenge for us and the I think it continues to be the challenge is how to tell the human stories because in the beginning, when we brought the lawsuit, it seems hard to believe now, but it didn't get a lot of traction. The, the idea, just us telling the story didn't get a lot. It was only when we could start presenting the human faces. And I think one of the big things was when ProPublica released that audio of the children crying and begging for their parents and the guards laughing. Um, what, what I think the public has, has only seen glimpses of is just how much these children and the parents suffered. You know, we know on the medical side that this is essentially child abuse. You know, what the doctors say is that this kind of trauma really, it, it literally changed the brain structure of these kids, that, that that's how intense the trauma was, that it physically, change their brain structure but just the little acts of brutality were so bad i mean you know there was one child who um a little honduran boy four years old who had glasses and his parents were from very modest means and they scraped together the money to buy him a pair of glasses and they also got him a glasses case knowing that they probably couldn't afford a second pair of glasses if they broke and when they came to take him away he was begging and pleading, please don't take me away from my parents. They took him away anyway. Fortunately, he was wearing his glasses, but he wasn't able to get his glasses case. So all day long, all the mother thought about is, can my little boy see? What if his glasses break? Will they get him a second pair? Will they show him 
where to put his glasses at night so they don't break. You know, another father said he just asked for 30 seconds to brace his young son for what was going to happen so that his young son didn't hear it from a guard. They didn't give him that time. They just started pulling the boy away and he's holding the father's leg, begging what's happening. You know, another another mother, one of the first in the lawsuit, had an 18-month-old son. They made her strap the son in the back of a car. The boy is hysterical. They would not let her. the mother comfort the boy. And they just, the car just pulls away. The mother's standing there and she sees her little boy craning his neck, trying to, to look at his mother as the car is being pulling away. And, you know, it's not just the reunification that ends things. I mean, not only is the child's brain structure, but change, but the deep vulnerability these children now feel. I remember going to visit one of the first families we got reunited and the mother said the, her four-year-old son just keeps asking, are they going to come and take me away again in the middle of the night? And that's exactly what the doctors warned was going to happen. This deep sense of trauma and vulnerability was going to set in that may ultimately last a lifetime. You know, what they explain is when you're three, four, five years old, the only reason you, the world is not so scary to you is because you think your parents can protect you from the world. And then when you're now being pulled away from your parents' arms and begging not to be taken away, and you're looking in your parents' eyes, your mother's eyes, and you see that she's not helping you, you realize that the world is a scary place and your mother can't protect you from everything. And one of the saddest things I feel about the whole thing is even when the child would come back to the parent after the court order reuniting them, the child would be so angry and resentful at the parent because they were too young to understand that the parent could not stop this from happening. And so they would say to their mother or father, didn't you love me enough to keep me? Why didn't you stop them from taking me? And so that leaves the parents with such overwhelming guilt that, that they really need a lot of trauma help as well. And some kids were so young, they didn't even actually recognize their parents and their parents didn't recognize them because they were taken away as, as infants and brought back eight, nine months later. And there was just no recognition on either part. Hmm. We often hear from defenders of the Trump administration, but also from some on the left that that there was little difference between the family separation practice and the policies of previous administrations. Do you agree? No, that's completely false. And that was a narrative that was put out there by the Trump administration in the beginning to see if it would float. Unfortunately, you know, people rejected it quickly. And what happened with the Trump administration of systematically separating parents had never been done by any prior administration, Democratic or Republican. Every administration will tell you, Republican or Democrat, they knew that if they took child, children away, that would be the most evil thing they could do. And they all rejected it. And they rejected it for two reasons, I think. One is that every expert on migration, whether from a Democratic or Republican administration, will tell you that it's ultimately not gonna deter families from coming if they're in real danger. You know, they're going to come because that's their only choice. So the Trump administration's view that if they make things so evil by taking children away, the families will no longer come was simply not empirically true. And I, and I remember talking to, you know, parents after we reunited them and said, would you have come anyway if you'd known your child was going to be taken? And they would just shrug and say, well, what choice did I have? I couldn't stay and have my child be killed 
or have, you know, maybe potentially killed. And so what choice? But the other point I think is, you know, is more fundamental is even if it were a deterrent to some families coming, there are just some things we don't do in the United States. And I think that's why you saw condemnation, such swift condemnation across the ideological spectrum from the Pope to Laura Bush to conservative religious leaders to just, you know, basic, just a basic sense of decency that we don't take little babies and children away in this country. We don't make children political pawns. And what I've, what I always said in the beginning of the lawsuit and throughout the last three years is, you know, people can have disagreements about macro immigration policy, reasonable disagreements. It's complicated and people can disagree with the ACLU's views on immigration generally, but I, I don't see it as being a partisan issue to say, we're just going to, we have to draw the line at taking children. I mean, some of these children were six, seven months old, uh, you know, and there's been a lot of talk about Obama, the conditions that Obama kept people in were not great. I, I don't think there's any comparison to what Trump did with conditions even, but the ACLU has, you know, has brought lawsuits against both Democratic and Republican administrations trying to make the conditions for immigrants, children, asylum seekers better. And we'll continue to do that. But in my view, the family separation policy was qualitatively different. It was just at a whole other level. No other administration separated families that way. We're talking with Lee Gallant, Deputy Director of the ACLU's Immigrants' Rights Project, lead attorney on the ACLU's 2018 family separation lawsuit against the federal government. We're talking about the status of efforts to reunify migrant children separated from their parents under the Trump administration. And I want to invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation. What questions or comments do you have about the status of efforts to find the parents of separated migrant children? What, if anything, do you think the federal government should do to rectify the harms of the Trump administration's zero-tolerance border policy? You can call us at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Also later today, just letting you know that on KQED, the California Report magazine is devoting its entire show to the effort to repair the harm of family separations with the story of a Honduran lawyer scouring mountain villages to track down parents who are deported without their kids, and the story of a father hiding from gangs in Central America and unsure how he will ever see his seven-year-old son who was taken away from him by U.S. border officials. So we hope that you will listen to that as well, and we hope you'll stay tuned for more of Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the status of efforts by lawyers, advocates, the government to reunify migrant children separated from their parents under the Trump administration with Legal Learn, Deputy Director of the ACLU's Immigrants' Rights Project and lead attorney on the ACLU's 2018 family separation lawsuit against the Trump administration, against the federal government really now since it is still open. Uh, and we have invited you, our listeners, to join the conversation with your questions, comments, reactions at 
1-800-633-6786. On Twitter or Facebook, you can post your comments at KQED Forum. Email them forum at kqed.org. Jim tweets, how many children remain to be reunited with their parents since the forced separation policy of 2017? How many are relegated to the foster care system? Um, Legal alert. the ACLU became the entity to find families. Yes, remind us how many do remain and why it's been so hard to locate that final 500. Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, so just taking a step back, what happened was that when the judge ruled that the Trump administration policy, <clears throat> excuse me, was unconstitutional and said that he wanted the families reunited, the government then said, well, you know, we have deported hundreds of parents without their children. And the government said, you know, we don't think they should be part of the case because the parents are gone now. And the judge rightly and swiftly rejected that argument saying they're gone because you deported them without their children. They have to be part of this case. The Trump administration then said, well, we're not going to go try and find the parents. And so I said in court, the ACLU will will try and find the parents then if the government's not going to. And we formed a steering committee to um, to try and help find the, the families. We believe that there are still about a thousand families. It's a little bit of a fluid number and it's hard to pin down, but we believe that there may be more than a thousand families still separated. And we have not located 499 of the families. And so I, I wanna just be clear about a couple of things. One is that I think there's been some misinformation out there that the 499 families we haven't located is the total number of families that are separated. That's not true. We have located hundreds and hundreds of other families and have been talking to them for a year or two, but they still remain separated because the Trump administration gave them only two brutal choices. Remain separated from your child or bring your child back to the danger from which they fled. The parents with young children brought their children back to Central America pursuant to the court order, but parents with, especially with older children who gangs were already targeting, chose to leave their parents, chose to leave their children in the U.S. So those families are families we have found, but remain separated. And we are looking for the Biden administration to now allow the parent to reunite in the U.S. But there's a whole separate category of 499 who we haven't even located yet. Some very well may have, have reunited up with through self-help measures, but others are likely still separated, undoubtedly still separated. And the reason it's been so hard to find them is, is a few reasons. Um, one is that after we got the initial list of 2,800 families, it wasn't until many months later that it was revealed that there were far more children separated than just 2,800. And that's only because there was an internal investigation by Health and Human Resources that revealed that we went back to court and said, we want to know the, the list of the names of the other children that were separated. The Trump administration refused. We had to get another court order, but we didn't get that list of names for many months, uh, not till the fall of 2019, actually. And the, re wow. the administration took another six months to get us the list of names. They originally wanted two years to get us the list of names. And the reason they said they were very candid, they said, we just didn't keep track of the families and we're going to now have to go through manually, go through hard files 
of tens of thousands of cases to figure out which kids were separated. So we didn't get that list till very late into 2019. And then we got very spotty contact information, if any at all. The phone numbers were either non-existent or stale by then. Addresses were as general as they're in somewhere in Guatemala. And so we had to, we called whatever phone numbers we could call, but then we've had to track them on the ground with our partner, Justice in Motion, um, looking for the families. And it's very difficult. It's, it's very dangerous looking for the families. And, and then COVID hit, made it even more difficult. So these remaining 499 are the last ones we haven't found because we didn't get the names till very late. We didn't get contact information. At the very end of the Trump administration, because of a global outcry around the time of the second presidential debate, the Trump administration finally came forward and said, oh, we might have these other phone numbers and addresses, which they hadn't disclosed for more than a year, even though they knew we were having trouble finding the families. Um, so the whole thing has just been outrageous, not getting the names, not getting the contact information. But it's, it, there's still no silver bullet to finding the remaining 500. We think one of the things that will help us is if the Biden administration now announces very clearly that they will allow families to come back to the U.S. and be safe, because there are undoubtedly some families that know we're looking for them, but have thought, well, what's the, the sense of coming forward under Trump? Because it's, it could be dangerous, and I know he's not going to do anything for us, but if the Biden administration makes clear if things have changed, I think we will be able to find families much more quickly. Mm. With the Biden administration, they started the task force last month to speed the reunification of migrant children. You do have an administration that is slightly more on the same page with advocates. Uh, but And I understand that the ACLU, as a result, is in settlement talks in that case that we've been talking about in the 2018 lawsuit against the federal government. What is it that you are asking from the Biden administration in terms of restitution for these families and other steps that you think it needs to take? Right. So we have some very specific asks of the Biden administration. The first is we don't think that this needs to be a priority of the Biden administration because we will ultimately find the families. But we do welcome any help the Biden administration can give us in finding the families. And what I think that means is they won't have a silver bullet to finding them. But what I think it means is scouring the databases at the federal agencies for any additional phone numbers or contact information. So that's the first thing. We welcome any help they can give us in finding the remaining 499. But beyond that, what we need the Biden administration to do is help us provide relief for the full 5,500 plus families that were separated. And so what that means is allowing families to reunite in the United States immediately. The parents are in danger. Some of them haven't seen their toddlers in years to allow them to come back immediately. The next thing is to take them, at, the ones who are already here, to take them out of deportation proceedings. One of, the, one of the really unconscionable things that happened is even where we found families and got them reunited in the United States, the Trump administration then turned around and put them back into deportation proceedings. So they've been fighting for their life not to be sent back. Um, again, take them out of deportation proceedings. We also then want the administration to explore options for permanent legal status for these families. You know, we're not talking about every single family 
you know, whose approaches the border kind of thing. We're talking about a discrete group of children who the United States government engaged in deliberate child abuse, according to the way that it's characterized by doctors across the board, including the American Academy of Pediatrics, that it was straight child abuse. And so given what we've done to these families, we believe they deserve a right to stay here. And, and finally, some form of restitution to deal with basic necessities, as well as critically uh, medical care with sensitivity to trauma, trauma care. Um, the families, as you know, I've described, the children have deep seated vulnerability and trauma. Now they need real medical attention, as do the parents. So I think we were looking for full relief for this families. I think it would be a real mistake if the Biden administration let this opportunity to past to try to do what they can to fix what the president, President Biden has himself called a national and moral shame. And so many people have said it's a historic, historically um, bad, bad act that the United <clears throat> States government engaged in. We're talking with Lee Galernt, Deputy Director of the ACLU's Immigrants' Rights Project. Let me go to caller Juan in Pleasanton. Hi, Juan. Hello, I, I would like you to explain the precise legal point that the Trump administration did to cause this crisis, which I believe centered around reclassifying legal and asylum seekers into illegal immigrants. Thank you. Thank you. Lee? So, what I, I think, you know, the, the caller is right to sort of focus on what precisely were they arguing as a legal matter in court and what was their narrative, you know, outside of court. Outside of court, what they tried to do is say that asylum seekers were, in their words, illegal aliens, you know, and the law requires people to have an asylum hearing. It requires our government to give people an asylum hearing. Asylum seekers are not illegal aliens in the most pejorative word are, are not undocumented immigrants. They are people who have a right under the law to seek asylum. But in court, what they said was, well, they tried to give all these different explanations for why they were separating. So for our name plaintiff, they said, well, yes, she did present legally at a port of entry and seek asylum, but we took her child away because maybe it wasn't really her child. She didn't have the birth certificate with her. Well, of course, she didn't have the birth certificate with her because she had spent three months traveling from the Congo, gotten robbed of all her possessions. And the judge said, well, why don't you just do a DNA test if you genuinely, genuinely don't believe it's the child? They did a DNA test. Of course, it was the child. So there were many families. The Trump administration tried to justify that way. We're just protecting them from traffickers. In other cases, what they would do is say, well, the parent crossed illegally. And even if they're applying for asylum, we have the right to put them in jail for this misdemeanor of crossing illegally. Mm. So they would take the child away while the parent went to jail. And they would say, you know, in America, even if a U.S. citizen goes to jail for something like burglary, the child doesn't come with them. But what we, of course, pointed out is that when the parent walks out of jail, they get their child back. The administration would put these these parents in jail for 24, 48 hours for the misdemeanor of crossing illegally, and then they wouldn't give their child back. So one of the other named plaintiffs went to jail for time served for the misdemeanor of crossing in the wrong place, even though she was applying for asylum, they put her in jail. When she got out, she didn't get her child back for nine months. And so that's how they tried to justify it. 
ultimately the judge saw through all that and said this violates the constitution and specifically the due process clause of the constitution and the government then turned to say well maybe for children u.s citizen children but at the border the constitution has to be different and we can take children away and fortunately the judge said this policy is so brutal so constant shocking it is patently unconstitutional and it doesn't matter whether you're doing it at the border to asylum seeking children or in the interior to u.s citizen children whatever other rules may exist at the border i am not allowing the united states government simply to take children away and it was an extremely strong opinion and that came quickly all the way back in june of 2018 and since then we have been fighting well, up, up, you know, up till this past January with the Trump administration to get the list of all the names, to find out where they are, to track them down and to get them help. We're hoping now that, that things will change going forward with the Biden administration. As you mentioned, we're in settlement talks with the Biden administration, you know, and I am very heartened by all the statements coming from the White House. They want to fix this. But I, but I have to say that I am getting concerned that there hasn't been progress yet. It's now coming on two months. The Biden administration has been there and they have not reunited a single parent. And we, you know, we truthfully were hoping that the first week the administration was in power, parents would be brought back and, and reunited. And now we'll, we'll give the settlement discussion, you know, some time. But I think at some point people's patience is going to run out because we're hearing from families, when am I going to see my child? When am I going to see my child? And it, the medical community is saying that every day a child is separated from their parents does damage. So this is not something that I think the administration should let drag or can let drag. I'm going to read a few comments that we're getting. Mary writes, I have to point out that separating children from their parents is very American. Just ask those of Native American or African American ancestry. It is exhausting that mainstream American culture generally will not take ownership of this ugly history, which is still affecting us. Unless and until we recognize the disease, we will never be able to cure it. Kelly writes, as a citizen, I continue to feel traumatized by what happened in our country with regards to child separations. I cannot wrap my mind around anyone who supported an administration that was capable of instituting such an egregiously inhumane policy, a crime against humanity, really. My heart continues to ache for these parents. Let me go to Mariana in Berkeley. Hi, Mariana. Hi there. Go right ahead. Hi. Okay. I would like to... Uh mentioned that I'm very glad, obviously, that Biden is taking the enormous, important human rights step to bring the child back to their families. I just wanted to point out that, you know, the United States is the only country in the world that has not ratified the Convention on the Rights of the Child. A convention is a treaty. You're obligated to respect it. And also that detaining kids at the border is in violation of other United Nations, such as the Convention Against Torture, such as the, our Constitution on Cruel and Unusual Punishment. So I haven't heard from any of the uh, guests any mention to human rights. And all of my students at San Francisco mm. State are writing on the, the, the detention of students of, uh, I mean, kids at the border. Mariana, thank you. I I wanted to talk with you 
Lee, about what Mariana's point is around human rights violations. Plus, we're getting a lot of questions about what kind of accountability uh, the previous administration can be held to. Yeah, I, I just I also wanted to um, just quickly mention something that you one of the questions or comments that you had read earlier about Native Americans and African Americans. Um, it's exactly right that there have been shameful periods of taking children away um, in the United States, and and that that caller rightly pointed that out. Um, and I you know I think what links all of these episodes is the dehumanization of a vulnerable population. Because I think you can only engage in something this barbaric if you've tried to dehumanize that population so that people will go along with it. Um, unfortunately, you know, people push back this time, but we have a lot of shameful periods in our history. Um, in terms of detention, you know, at the border, I, the ACLU feels very strongly that we need to stop all of this detention of children, asylum seekers, families. Um, so we are going to continue to push for less and less and less detention at the border um, of, of immigrants, you know, especially there always are going to be some detentions if there genuinely is a finding that a, someone could be a danger to the community. But during the Trump administration and, and frankly, other administrations, there was too much detention uh, of immigrants, including asylum seekers and families. But on the human rights point, I, I think that's also right, that we need to start bringing in a human rights perspective. In this case of family separation, we were able to have the judge rule on straight U.S. constitutional grounds. But I think a human rights flavor was in the background the whole time mm. that this was really an affront to humanity. Well, Lee Learn, I know you need to leave us, but I just want to thank you for the work that you are doing and for giving us your time today. I know that you have a very busy day uh, today, and it, it really uh, meant a lot to me and to our listeners. I also want to thank Susan Britton for producing today's segment and to our listeners for their comments and responses. We have another uh, segment of Forum next, so stay with us for that. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening 
because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.